You can turn with me first and foremost to Philippians chapter four, but I, we're gonna look at Romans one here in just a minute as well. But turn to Philippians chapter four. Brother James announced that we're starting a series called Thankful, Rejoicing in the Riches of God. We actually did this series in 2019. So if you were around in 2019, um, we have worked through this passage before. But Brother James thought that um, it is a passage that we needed again. And so we are going to work once again through the last chapter of Philippians chapter 4. Brother James dealt with verses 4 through 7 last week at our communion and baptism time. And we'll be looking at verses 8 and 9 uh, today. But I, I want to mention something from Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Let me read these words through verse 21. They'll be up on the screen as well. And, and I just want to mention something and see if something doesn't jump out at you that jumped out at me. It says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made so they're without excuse. For although they knew God, now that phrase knew God references back to the kind of knowing he just said. They know that God exists because of creation and his invisible attributes being displayed in creation. So everyone knows God exists, church. Everyone. I saw a shirt once that says, God does not believe in atheists. It's true. They may be anti-theist. They may be against God. They may have calloused their hearts to the place that they have convinced themselves they don't believe. But Scripture says everyone is aware and knows that God exists. And here it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. One of the defining characteristics of a rebellious heart is an ungrateful heart. People who are under the wrath of God, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God, they know God exists, but they suppress the truth of God. One of the defining characteristics of these people is that they will not honor God or give thanks to Him. They may give thanks to the universe. They may give thanks in some abstract way, but they will not honor the one true living God, Yahweh, three in one, with thanksgiving. Which means, 
For a person who serves and who proclaims to serve the one true living God as people who do not suppress the truth in unrighteousness, a defining characteristic of our life must be gratitude. If if the suppressor of truth and those that suppress the truth and unrighteousness who know God exists but refuse to honor, give, honor him, if they don't give thanks to God, then a defining characteristic of those who do not suppress the truth and those who love God and do honor him should be that of giving thanks to God. The contrast must be true for us. And we must continue to keep this in mind throughout our entire lives, but certainly in this series and in this time of thanksgiving. We must be a people who honor God by giving thanks to him. In fact, if you were to start in Genesis 1 and you were to write every command down in the Bible, So let's say you had a giant notepad and you took your Bible and you started in Genesis 1 and you just began writing every command that you saw, every imperative statement that you see, and you write them all down and you get done at the end of Revelation. Do you know what is commanded more than any other thing in the Bible? Rejoice in the Lord. It's the number one thing commanded of us to rejoice in the Lord. How can we be a people who serve the one true living God and not be people who rejoice in the Lord, not be people who give him thanks? It makes no sense. And yet there are times, church, if we're honest with ourselves, that we we can admit that there are many professing Christians who are not thankful people. They're fault finders. They're critical. They, they, they just, they look, everything's doom and gloom. You ever been around someone that everything is just doom and gloom? I, have, I haven't watched the local news in, I don't know, since I moved out of the house and my parents watched the local news every day. I asked my dad the other day, I said, you still watch the local news? He goes, every night I record all four of them. Four, five, eight, and 11. He records them all and he watches them all. But sometimes we watch the news and it's just, is it not just depressing? Just all the stuff. We can just get focused on it and get down and get critical and get gripey. And Do me a favor, everybody. Could you just all make sure your phones are muted? Just put them on silent for me. Mute that phone, silence that phone. I have to make sure mine is right now. I heard one pastor say once, he, I don't know, I don't even know who it was, phone rang. Maybe, maybe this was Malcolm Ellis telling the story that he was at a church one time and a phone rang and it was at a conference or something and the, the guy speaking was like, if that ain't God, you better turn that off. <laughs> I don't think God's going to have to use AT&T to get a hold of you. Now let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Keep all that in mind and let's go to Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read the first, I'm going to read verses four through nine. We're going to need some of these previous verses to help us with verses eight and nine. So let's, let's back up and let's read Philippians four, four through nine. Rejoice in the Lord always. There it is. The command that is given 
more than any other command in Scripture is right here in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He just says it twice. Just two times right here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And let me say it again for you, church. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He is here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and, and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Verse four, these two words, that he, this word that he repeats twice, rejoice, is central to understanding this entire text. And I want to say a word about it before we move to verses eight and nine. Now, normally when we hear the word rejoice, today we think that it means something that happens inside of people a sense of joy that is welling up inside of people that makes them happy from within. So most people today, when they think of the word rejoice in our culture, in our language, we think of something that happens to us on the inside that wells up within us and then that makes us happy. But the word itself, this Greek word, is actually the same word that the pagan nations would use to publicly celebrate their gods. It was an open parade of thanksgiving. An open parade of thanksgiving. The pagans, okay, in this culture, the Romans, the pagan Romans, with their polytheistic culture, multiple gods, this word represented their public thanksgiving to those gods. It didn't mean a feeling inside of you that would well up to make you feel happy. It was actually something you did on the outside of you to say thank you to your gods. Now, Paul is, is taking this word and he's saying, Christians, parade your thankfulness to the Lord always. Publicly declare, I'll say it again, publicly declare your thanksgiving to the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord as a public declaration. Don't just be happy on the inside. This is something we do. Of course, it's going to well up from the inside. We're Christians, after all, with new hearts, after all. Of course, it's going to come from the inside, but it's not something where we just feel good and then walk around feeling good during the day. No, it's something that happens on the inside of us. We find this joy in the Lord, and then we rejoice on the outside publicly every single day of our lives. 
if the pagans are going to publicly parade their thankfulness to their gods, how much more so should followers of King Jesus, the one true living God, parade our thankfulness and joy? Paul is using the same word. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us publicly celebrate and be glad in it. Well, ago when mom was talking about clapping, you don't have to be a clapper. You don't have to be a clapper. Um, I don't see Brother James, you know, on the front row pumping his fist and clap. Like, that's not his personality. It's my personality. But Brother James said this last week, and it is true. There is something wrong with no manifestation of your thankfulness to the Lord. You don't have to do it like anybody else, but you better be doing it. It's a command. I don't know how you want to publicly rejoice and be thankful to the Lord, but it needs to be public. You need to do something publicly that rejoices in the Lord. I don't know what that may be. But the idea that we can stand, what did Brother James say last week? Sometimes it's looking at you and it's just like, I'm trying to remember the words that he used, where it's just nothing. Nothing in the face, nothing in the body. Like you're, sometimes we just stand there. Maybe mouth the words a little, like, that's not what Paul's talking about here, okay? This is a public celebration of rejoicing in the Lord. Now let's look at verse 8. Paul's encouragement for excellence. Verse 8. See the word excellence at the end of it? If there is anything or if there is any excellence, see that at the end of verse 8? We're going to come back to the list in a minute. But see at the end of verse 8 where it says, if there's anything excellence. This is a very interesting choice of words by Paul. For Paul to use this word excellence, the, the Greek word that he's using here is a very interesting choice. Because it's actually the Greek word that means virtues. If there are any virtues... What makes this so interesting to me is that this list that Paul's going to have here in a minute actually is drawing upon Greek literature and Greek, a Greek set of virtues. Do you know the Greeks had virtues? And, and the Greek virtues would then get passed on to, to the Roman society, but there were these Greek words that books were written about, a book of virtues, Greek book of virtues that was written about. And in fact, this, the, the virtues in Greek society was a favorite subject of Stoic philosophers. And in fact, most theologians believe that the six virtues that Paul chooses to tell us to think about are actually six Greek virtues that he grabs. In other words, he says... The Greeks got these right. These are virtuous things. These are excellent things, and you need to think about them. Now, we think about them in light of the gospel, obviously. But he is saying, even in this culture in which we live, 
where we are being persecuted by, at the hands of the Romans, there are virtuous things in society and in the world and in the culture that through the prism of the gospel, we are to think about. So Paul is challenging the church to think upon, to appreciate anything that is virtuous and worthy of praise. Paul understands that this is going to take some discernment, right? This is going to take some discernment on the part of Christians and the power of the Holy Spirit to decide what is true and good and pure. And like, we're going to have to discern that, but they're there. They're in culture. We don't have to pretend like the world is not filled with this stuff. It is, and we need to think about it. Because Paul believes that anything that is virtuous in society, whether pagan Greeks believe it or not, but just because the pagan Greeks believe it doesn't make it not true. And if anybody believes something that is virtuous, it's because of God. The Protestant Reformation had a phrase, all truth is God's truth. Anything of real beauty is God's beauty. Anything that is virtuous comes from God. And the pagans may have agreed with it, but they didn't make it up. God did. So Paul is not afraid to say, hey, listen, you know these Greek virtues that are in our society that we live in and we have this, these things that we think about? Well, let me grab some of those and say, these are things we need to think about. These are things we need to focus on. He's wanting them to, to ponder on the reality in the world they live. There are these virtues. There is this beauty that is in our world. Think about it. Now, here is why. Because if we're just going with the flow, if we're just going with the flow, it's going to be really easy to see all of the negative in our world. And to think that things are just terrible. I've heard Christians say that. Man, I tell you what, things are just terrible. Church, no, they're not. Are there terrible things? Yes. Are, is everything terrible? No. The kingdom of God is here. The church is growing. People are getting saved. The fruits of the Spirit are being born out. There are good, beautiful, virtuous things in our world that God is doing. And the idea that we can just sit back and say, man, I'll tell you what, everything's just terrible. Man, this, everything's just terrible. Paul's saying... Maybe there's some things you need to think upon then. If that's your attitude, then there are some things you need to think about. Stop thinking about all the negative stuff all the time. Turn off the news. I was convicted when I was reading it. I mean, when I was putting this together or re-putting it together from the last time, I got all convicted. Because sometimes I, 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 I just read things that are too negative and it... it mainly from Twitter, and it just gets in my head, and, and sometimes I can let it go, and sometimes it just ticks me off. And, it, and I'm like, wait a minute. Maybe I need to think on some more beautiful stuff than what I'm thinking on. 
Because as we're going to see in a moment, it's going to radically affect us. But the truth is, it may be difficult at times to not focus on the negative. Paul is saying, you got to think about the virtuous, excellent, beautiful, good things that are in the world. J.R.R. Tolkien writes in Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, The world is indeed full of peril, and in it there are many dark places, but there is much that is fair. And though in all lands love is now mingled with grief, it still grows and perhaps all the greater. There is much in our world and in our country and in our culture that is fair and beautiful and good. And Paul is saying, think on these things. This idea, this is how this was initially taught to me when I was little. I don't remember who taught it to me. I don't remember how it got in my brain. But somewhere along the way, this list got twisted And the primary focus became me actually living out these things. You need to live in truth. You need to live in purity. And I'm not disagreeing with that statement. It's certainly true. But Paul is not really giving a list here to first and foremost for you to act upon. He doesn't say, Finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable, act them out. It's not what he says first, is it? He says, think on them. Ponder them. Take them in. We'll talk at the end of why I think this is such a wonderful, good thing. We need to be people who look at our world and find virtuous, fair, beautiful things mingled with love. Let's look at Paul's six virtues that he mentions here that the Greeks also wrote about. First, he says true. Whatsoever things are true. I'm going to give you kind of the definition of this word. It's an accurate portrayal of reality. Things that accurately portray reality. When we look around our culture... And in our world, we are to ponder the things that are true. Think about the things that are true. Take in the things that are true. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, rejoice in the truth. When we see things that are true, rejoice in it. Now, here here again, go back to this Protestant Reformation phrase, all truth is God's truth. There is this tendency among Christians to not believe something if it comes from somebody we don't like. Somebody could say something that's very true and we want to reject it because we don't like the person that says it. Well, I don't think Paul was sitting around going, you know who I really love? I love those pagan Greeks, man. Those guys are awesome. No, but he took the six virtues, didn't he? Because the six virtues are true regardless. I don't care. Who says truth? If it's true, it's true. That's what the reformers were getting at when they said all truth is God's truth. 
If it comes from the mouth of a pagan and it's true, it's true because it aligns with the mind of God, not because a pagan said it. Or not because um, someone in Hollywood who doesn't believe the gospel says it. It could still be true. We can still take it in. We can still ponder it. We can still embrace it and think about it and rejoice in it. So we as believers are supposed to think about things, think about people, think about works that are true. Take them in. Observe them. Think about them. Embrace them. Rejoice in them. Regardless of who says it. If it's true, it's true. And if it's true, it's God's truth. Number two, honorable. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable. This word honorable means to, it means awe-inspiring, majestic, noble, mature, dignified, respectable. This word was used to describe the honor that the gods were due. That's how the pagans used it. So this gives us an idea of how we need to think about this word and how high this word is thought of. In the context, it probably means things that are good and uh, are good and of moral worth. Someone does something that is moral. If there are moral actions in the world that are that are good, we need to think about those things. Uh, during the pandemic, um, of course. A lot of negative stuff, right, during the pandemic. We're all sitting at home every single day, no matter what we're watching, no matter what we're listening to. It's pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. John Krasinski, who is a, uh, not a believer that I know of, he was Jim from The Office, the American office, uh, he decided he was going to try to, to just bring some good news into the world. So he actually, from his house, with a backdrop that his children drew, he did a news broadcast every single day of just good news. Just good things, good news, good things that people did. And he sat there with shorts on and then a tie and a jacket and he played that up and did it in a comedic way. And, and, but just every single day would get up and for 30 minutes just talk about good news with John Krasinski. It was called good news, wasn't it? I think it was just called good news with John Krasinski. That is an example of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that are just done, that are good and praiseworthy and of, of, of moral good. Do you have to be a Christian to do morally good acts? Absolutely not. There are people who do morally good acts that deserve us thinking about, pondering on. Man, that's good. Man, that helped people. It's good that we ponder on things that are honorable, that are noble and dignified and respectable. Paul uses this word to, in the pastoral letters to refer to elder men and women. He's saying elder men and women ought to be this way. They ought to be people who are noble and dignified and respectable and awe-inspiring. People ought to be able to look at that elder men and women and, 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 and say, these people who have lived their lives are worthy of us watching, saying, man, that's good. That's good that they've lived for the Lord. What can I learn from that? How can I take that into my life? 
So we are to think about things, think about people, think about works in our world that are honorable, majestic, noble, mature, and of good moral worth. Number three, just. This word means the norms of equity, requirements of justice and fairness. It refers to public services that are done in order to make society civilized and well-ordered. So when people act in this just way, they act fair, they're doing things in society that help society become a fair, just, equitable place. I think about people who have fought for civil rights. They may not have fought for civil rights perfectly. If it was a human fight for civil rights, then it ain't going to be done perfectly. Right? I mean, there's no way... Uh, I love MLK Jr., but MLK didn't ju- Jr. didn't do it all perfectly. There's some things that he believed that I looked at, and I'm like, oh, no, if I see Scripture that way. But what he did was just and worthy of me thinking about and pondering the abolitionist movement. They didn't always do it right. You ever heard of... Uh, I almost said Jim Brown, but that's a, uh, that's a football player. John Brown. I didn't, uh, I didn't have this in my notes, so this is flying off the head here, guys. So John Brown was a Christian Calvinist abolitionist. John Brown believed in militarily freeing the slaves. So John Brown would get a group of men and he would sneak in the middle of the night into a plantation and he would free the slaves. And when he got confronted by the slave owners, his group of men would just kill. Now, I look at that and say, don't know if that's the way that I would go. Some Christians would say, no, that's exactly how it should go. You're freeing people who are enslaved. And if if, if those slave owners then try to kidnap them back, you defend them. Now, whether I would have done it exactly like he did it or not, what he was doing was just. He was fighting for fairness and equity. That's what this word means. Jesus tells a story that reiterates this idea Remember when he's talking about the, the master of the vineyard and he, he gets three of his workers and the master tells them, I'm going to pay you this for your work. I'm going to pay you this for your work. And I want to pay you this for, for your work. And they come back and, and they're like, well, wait a minute. We didn't work the same amount of hours and you. And they were like, and, and the master said, yes, but did you not agree to work this many hours for this much? Well, yeah. Then what you got was fair. The next person, well, I didn't work eight hours. I only worked six did you agree to work six hours for this much? Yeah, then that's fair. It's the, it's the, the usage of the same word there, just, fair. The, the, the master of the vineyard was not unjust in giving them exactly what they agreed upon to work for. So we are to think about things that are just. Think about people that are just. Think about works that are just and fair in our world. Number four, pure. Things that are morally blameless. It was originally used to refer to the awe-inspiring holiness of the gods in their realm. This is the way the Greeks use this. Paul uses it to describe how he wants the church to be. 
When Jesus comes back, He wants the church to be this word, pure. Morally blameless. We are to think about things. Think about people. Think about works that are morally blameless and holy. Number five, lovely. Causing pleasure or delight. Pleasing. A quality that warrants and attracts admiration. Intrinsically attractiveness or beauty. In the Septuagint, remember what the Septuagint is? What is it? It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That's the Septuagint. In the Septuagint, this word, this Greek word is used to refer to Esther's face. It's how King Xerxes refers to Esther. She is this Greek word, lovely. She is causing pleasure, delight, pleasing, attractive, admirable, and beautiful. There are so many things in our world that are lovely. Think about them. Focus on them. Take them in. You you do know that psychology, neuropsychologists and neurologists tell us that being in nature changes our brain for the good. It's good for us to be out in nature just taking in beautiful things. Grass, trees, flowers, air, sun, moon, stars, clouds. It's good. Lakes, rivers, oceans, Maui. Number six, commendable, admirable words or works that are well spoken of. Whatever words or works or people that have a good reputation are people that deserve our attention. Works that deserve our attention. Let, let, me, let, me, let me give you an example. This man has passed, but we, have, we had a war hero who was a senator of Arizona, I believe. His name was John McCain. He ran for president. Uh, once, lost to uh, President Barack Obama. Um, There were a lot of people that did not, there were a lot of Republicans that did not like John McCain's politics. They didn't think he was conservative enough on certain things. Here nor there, not my point. He was doing a town hall meeting during the middle of that, um, that time when they were both running for president. What do we call that word? Yes, the the race for president, Um, the election cycle. And a woman stood up in this town hall meeting and she started berating Barack Obama, uh, saying that he wasn't born in America and that he was a Muslim and that um, he was going to be a terrorist. And um, I think she even talked about being the Antichrist or something. Um, And he just stopped her. He stopped her and he said, no, 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 man, no, no, no. He is a good man that I just have some serious political differences with. Last night, by chance, I heard the speech, his concession speech after he lost 
to President Barack Obama. I don't think I've ever heard a classier concession speech in my entire life. He was, while he was giving the speech, people were booing things that he said. Republicans at his concession speech rally were, and he just shut them down. And he said, that's not the way. And I watched that and I thought of this word commendable. Do I agree with everything politically with John McCain? No. I don't agree with anybody on everything politically. Not even myself from a year ago. That doesn't mean what he didn't do wasn't commendable. That was commendable. And we, we, we should stop and go, that's a, that's a good commendable thing. That's worthy of a good reputation. That's worthy to be praised right there. I want to take that in. Especially with all the stuff that happens politically. I want to take that in. That's a way to talk to, about people and to people that you even disagree with right there. So we are to... Think about things and people and works in our world that are admirable and praiseworthy. Praiseworthy. Paul is encouraging the church to think about these things. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. There's more. But he's taking these six and he's saying, in light of what we know to be good and true from the mind of God and Scripture and the gospel, let's think on these things. Let's take these things in. Let's take in these highest of qualities and these virtues that are in the world. They are uniquely there because of God. And let's take them in and think about them. And then in verse 9, Paul is now going to give the example of himself. I said it's easy for us to look at circumstances and not think about the things that are virtuous. Right? You know where Paul's writing this from? Prison. He's writing this from a Roman prison, probably in Ephesus. He's saying, you don't think that I, try to, I don't try to practice this? I'm in prison, and guess what I got to do? I got to think about things that are true and pure and lovely and commendable, because if I just sat in this prison and thought about all the negative stuff... I, I'd be done for. And Paul's saying, you've learned, you've received, and you've heard, and you've seen in me that I do what I write to you about. Paul is not one who simply writes and then does not practice what he writes. He walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk. And he's saying, listen, I too have to do this very thing. So follow my example. You don't have it harder than me right now. I'm in prison and I've got to think on these things. You too must think on these things. You too must practice taking in these things. Thinking about these things. And now we come to the whole point of these verses. Why is he telling them to think about these things? Why is he telling them to think about these kinds of people? Why is he telling them to think about these kinds of works in the culture and in the world that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable? What's the point? And I think there are two phrases that work as a bracket to all of this. One is in verse 7. Look how he, he, what he says in verse 7. And the peace of God 
And now look how he ends verse 9. And the God of peace. So he says the peace of God before he gives this list. And then he ends the whole thing with the God of peace. Paul knows this to be true. If we do not have the peace of God that comes from the God of peace, we will not be people who are grateful. We will not be people who are thankful. We will not be people who are full of public rejoicing. Think about it. If you are constantly taking in things that are false, dishonorable, unjust, unlovely, and not commendable, it will have a massive effect on your spiritual, emotional, mental, and even physical well-being. If all we are doing is taking in the negative, taking in the things that are the opposite of these virtues, if that's what we're taking, it is going to have a massive impact on our emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual lives. And Paul says, that does not come from the God of peace. The peace of God doesn't come from us thinking about everything that is terrible. We will not be at peace. We will not be a person who is at peace. We will not be a person that is thankful. We will not be a person that is rejoicing. Yes, this world is full of things that are false, dishonorable, unjust, unlovely, and not commendable. You can't avoid them. They're in our world. But you must combat and counteract them with virtuous, excellent things to think about. Do you agree with this statement? Beauty does something to our soul. Do you agree with that? That's a wonderful thing. That beauty, the the intaking of beauty does something to us. And I want you to listen to this very carefully. On every level, okay, the soul is everything a person is made of. On every level, people who take in beauty become people that manifest and create beauty. Did you hear that? When you take in beauty, whether it's nature, whether it's art, whatever it may be, when you take in beauty and that becomes a consistent thing that you're bringing into your life, you will become a person that manifests or creates beauty yourself. So think about it. As we think about things and people and works that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, as we take them in and we are thankful for them, we will become people who are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. There's a computer phrase that came about when the computer generation began. Garbage in, garbage out. So much truth to that. What we fill our minds with and the beauty that we take in, we must 
do it on a consistent basis. We need to take things into our minds that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable so that we become people who then create that very same thing out in the world. I said at the beginning that Paul's not writing this so that we practice these things because Paul knows that just giving you a command to practice these things probably is not going to be a very good motivation. Paul's getting at the heart of how this works. You want to become a thankful person, then we've got to take in these virtues. And then once we take in these virtues and we are constantly thinking about them and taking them in and getting excited about them and and the good things that are in the world and the beautiful things that are in the world, what will happen is we will begin to do that in the world. Do you know what they say the best thing that, that painters can do? Look at other people's paintings. You know what they say the best thing that an author can do? Read books. Why? Because as you're taking in, it does something to you so that you create. Paul gives us this list so that we will be people of peace. Because of the God of peace, and we will put peace into the world. The beauty from these virtues, as we take them in, it will make us thankful people. Lord, thank you for the things in the world that are true. Thank you, Lord, for the things in the world that are pure and we name them and we think about them and they're in our brains. Thank you, Lord, for the things that are just in our world, that are lovely in our world, that are commendable in our world. Thank you for these things, God. We know they come from you and I want to think about them and ponder them and take them in and you will find yourself because your soul will benefit from it. You will find yourself putting that stuff out in your life by the power of God. In the end, is this, is, not, is this not what we're called to be as part of the new creation? Now let's step back from like a giant overview. Is this not the very thing we're supposed to? Are we not supposed to be putting beauty into the world? Are we not sub-creators? Have, do we not have the creator living inside of us that will move for us to then create beauty and good and order and, and that stuff into the world? That's what we're supposed to be doing. We get saved, but then God leaves us here transformed by the Holy Spirit to then put beauty out into the world, to put virtues back out into the world. And as we think about them and we take them in, this is the very thing we're supposed to be doing as new creations of God, a part of the new creation. We're just following our father's lead. We're just following our older brother's lead. We're just following the spirit's lead in our lives. We do these things, we'll become a more thankful people.